Yes, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I hope all of you out there in the world are taking good care of yourselves and being safe during this pandemic. And I hope all of you out there are making good, smart, careful decisions. Um, But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, as we all know, one of the bigger or one of the, I guess you could say, I guess you could say one of the one of the lesser bigger stories in sports today because there's really no bigger story in sports more specifically the NBA than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets and we all know that that ain't nothing new but one of the lesser semi-big stories in the NBA that has taken place was Guard Bradley Beal signing a five-year, $251 million contract with the Washington Wizards. And in totality, when you look at that contract, when you look at Bradley Beal signing a contract like that, you look at it and you think, and and I'm pretty sure a lot of you out there probably thought this when you first saw Bradley sign that contract. And I kind of thought about it for a little bit, but I know a lot of you out there probably have that thought of, Damn, Bradley, really? You chose money over winning? And I kind of had that thought process for maybe a quick second. But in reality, when you really stop and you think for a minute and you look at the detail within that five-year, $251 million contract, yes, did Bradley Beal show loyalty to the Wizards by signing that contract? Yes. Did Bradley Beal choose to want to stay in Washington and want to try to continue to prove that he could win a championship with Washington? Yes. But in reality, if you really look at that contract and you look at it in detail, Bradley Beal put the Wizards on the clock with this new contract extension. Why do I say that? I say that because have you guys ever met that friend where he does something, he or she does something, you know how smart and you know how intelligent that friend is, but then they do something that is very calculated and very strategic and detailed that when you look at them, you kind of think to yourself, damn, that person wasn't what I, excuse me, that, that person isn't what I thought they were. They're a lot more strategic and they're a lot more intelligent and they're a lot more smart than I thought they were. And that's where this guy, and that's where this contract extension comes in with Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill is a lot more self-aware. He's a lot more aware and he's a lot more calculated and strategic than people give him credit for. And to add to that, This is what former NBA general manager Bobby Marks said about Bradley Bill's contract on Twitter. This is what he said. Quote, one contract signed today that stands out is the five-year, $251 million contract for Bradley Bill negotiated by Mark Bartelstein of Priority Sports. The Bill contract consists of a no-trade clause. He is the only player in the league to have a true no-trade clause. Also, Marks said this. Bill becomes only the 10th player to have a no-trade clause joining LeBron, KG, Melo, Dirk, Dwayne Wade, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, and John Stockton. The contract also has a 15% trade kicker and a player option in the fifth year. 
So bottom line is this with Bradley Beal and the Wizards. He's put the Washington Wizards on the clock with his contract. He's giving them a two to three year period of I'm I'm going to be loyal to you. I signed this five year $251 million contract for a reason. Because I'm loyal to you guys and I believe that we can get free agents to come to Washington to help me and help bring this organization to championship. But here's the problem with that. No team, no free agent is going to want to come to Washington and play for the Wizards. And that has been known now for years. Not even Kevin Durant wanted to come to Washington to try to play for the Wizards. So, at the end of the day, Bradley Bill showed his loyalty to Washington. He feels like he can win in Washington, even though we all know Washington. Anybody, anybody just like me who has a a very sensible and reasonable basketball mind that knows the game of basketball, that's watched it for years, and that is a big-time basketball fan, any of us that, that truly know basketball know damn well that the Wizards are not winning anything for probably the next damn decade, maybe even longer than that. And that's a fact. The Wizards are not winning anything. But Bradley Beal is showing his loyalty to Washington, but also he's putting the Wizards on notice that within the next two to three years, I have a no-trade clause. I have a player option. So if you so if Washington screws this up within the next two to three years and they can't get a playmaker to come alongside him to play with him in Washington, he's going to leave. He's going to leave. So so overall, ladies and gentlemen, we can look at that five year two hundred and fifty one million dollar contract all we want. And we can say to ourselves, damn, Bradley, you chose winning over, or excuse me, you chose money and loyalty over winning. Come on, man. You got to be smarter than that. But then when you look in detail, when you look more in detail into the contract itself, and you pay attention to what the contract in detail actually says, you see how, how really, how you see how aware you see how strategic and you see how calculated Bradley Bill is as far as him signing that kind of contract with the Washington Wizards. And I applaud Bradley Bill because as loyal as loyal as he's shown to be with Washington, he's also put the Wizards on notice that if you screw this up, I'm leaving. And you can't just trade me anywhere that you want to trade me. You're going to have to trade me to where I want to go. So, in my opinion, and this is just me, it's not a matter of if Bradley Bill leaves Washington now at this point with that five-year, $251 million contract. It's not a matter of if Bradley Bill leaves Washington. It's just a matter of when he leaves. It's not a, Again, it's not a matter of if he leaves. It's just a matter of when he leaves. So, congratulations, Bradley, on getting your money. You earned it, and I'm proud of you for having the self-awareness to realize and understand that I'm also putting this organization on notice that if they screw this up, I'm leaving. So, congrats, Bradley, on getting your money. I just hope at some point before you before you leave your prime, you go to a winning championship organization.
Next up, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about Damian Lillard and Damian Lillard signing a two-year, $120 million extension with the Portland Trailblazers. And it's the same thing with Damian Lillard that I said with Bradley Bill. Damian Lillard is loyal to the Portland Trailblazers. Portland gave him a chance to show how talented and how gifted he really is when they drafted him out of Weber State. So with Portland giving giving Damian Lillard that opportunity, Damian feels like, you know what, I need I owe them. I need to give I need to give the love back to them. So by him doing that, he's signing a two year one hundred and twenty million dollar contract extension. And he and he has the same mindset. He has the same mindset that Bradley Bill has. This organi- this organization took a chance on me. They they gave me an opportunity to show how great I really am and Damian Lillard is really, really good. He's talented. So I owe them. And this has kind of been a trend with a lot of young, very talented players over the last couple of years. But very, very quickly before I get into that, here's what Damian Lillard said during a press conference after he signed that two-year $120 million contract extension. Quote, quote, I don't think you can earn something like this just by going out there and scoring a bunch of points, he said. Something something that's missing in our league is character and the fight and passion and pride about, you know, not just the name on the back, but the name on the front and how much you impact the people that you come into contact with. So like I, uh, like I was saying before, Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, by signing their contract extensions with the franchises that originally drafted them, they're showing a trend that is continuing in the NBA and that is continuing to take shape. And that is, I'm a star player. I want to try to prove that I can win a championship with the organization that drafted me. I'm going to try my best to get big-time free agents to come to the team that I'm that I'm leading. And here's the thing about that. It's worked over the last seven years. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, all drafted by the Warriors. Been to six NBA. Been been to six of the last eight NBA Finals. Won four championships. All three of those guys drafted by one team have stayed with it. Have stayed with that team for their entire career. Won championships. Giannis drafted by the Bucks. Been there for the last eight nine years. Finally won a championship. Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Yes, he was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets, but they eventually traded him to the Lakers. Been with the Lakers for his entire career, won five championships. Michael Jordan, drafted by the Chicago Bulls. Stayed with the Bulls for most of his career. Yes, he ended up in Washington, and it didn't, and, it, and his career ended poorly. But he was with the Chicago Bulls. He was with the Bulls for most of his career, won six championships. And that's the trend that a lot of players now are taking in the NBA. A lot of young players, John Murray, Zion Williamson, signing these five-year extensions. They don't want to leave. They don't want to team up with other, with other big-time players to win championships. They want to prove that I can win a championship in Memphis. I can win a championship 
in Milwaukee, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I can I can bring I can bring an 18th championship banner to Boston, Damian Lillard. I can bring another free agent to Portland and help and 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 it could lead to us winning a championship. Bradley Beal, I can bring a free agent to Washington, and we can win a championship here in Washington. And I actually really like that trend, and I really like how these young players are taking that mindset of even when things are getting difficult, this franchise is loyal to me, I'm loyal to them, and I love the fan base here, and I want to reward them by winning a title. I don't want to go team up with, you know, I don't want to go team up with LeBron. I don't want to team up with with a Paul Pierce or whatever and try to win a ring. I want to try to establish a culture here. I want to try to win a championship here with the team that drafted me. We, They drafted me and a few other players. We develop and build from the ground up. And we can bring in a Kevin Durant if we need to. We can bring in a Kyrie Irving if we need to or whatever the case may be. We can bring in a LeBron if we need to. And we can win a championship right here in Memphis. We can win a championship right here in Portland. And I appreciate that mentality from a John Morant, from a Zion, from a Damian Lillard, from a Bradley Beal. Because these guys, they want to go through the struggle. They want to go through the struggle and the fight of developing, building from the ground up, and showing that you don't have to team up with other big-time stars to win a title. And so, um, congratulations to all of these young guys, to Ja, to Dame, to, to, to Zion, to Bradley. Congratulations to them for wanting to build from the ground up and create a championship environment and try to create a championship winner with the teams that drafted them. Congratulations to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green for staying and sticking with the franchises that drafted them. Steph Curry in 2009, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green in 2011 and 2012. Congratulations to all of you for wanting to stay with the franchises that drafted you, to go through the hardships and to try to turn the organizations that struggled for 30, 40 plus years and you were able to help get them out of those holes and bring them to championship relevancy and and build a championship culture. Congratulations to all of you for sticking it out and fighting it out and to Ja, Zion, Dame and Bradley thank you guys for wanting to try to stick it out and build a championship culture with the organizations that drafted you. There are not a lot of players in the NBA that have that mindset anymore. Those guys that I just named are the very few that have that mindset. Congratulations. And I hope this trend continues because it's a really, really awesome thing to see. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you guys why Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill is not wrong about Tua needing to step up in 2022. And in honor of the 2022 college football season coming up, I'm going to give you guys my top five college football players of all time. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. As we all know, ladies and gentlemen, the 2022 NFL football season is coming up very, very soon. I am very excited about it, as I know a lot of you out there are. 
And one of the stories that a lot of people have been talking about has been Tua Tagovailoa and how this season coming up for him during uh, the season coming up for him for the 2022 season is going to be his make or break year for him. And to a degree, I kind of agree because you don't put as much talent around Tua as the Miami Dolphins did with their running game with Raheem Mostert, with Sony Michelle, with Jalen Waddle, with Mike Gesicki, with Tyreek Hill, with Will Fuller. You don't put all of that talent around Tua if you don't think that as an organization that, okay, we've put a lot of talent around this guy. If he does not show up and he does not step up this season, we got to move on from him. If you cannot step up with the amount of talent that the Dolphins put around Tua Tagovailoa, now you got a problem. Now you got an issue. Now you've really shown that you're not the guy. This is what Dolphins wide out Tyree Kill said during during the it, it Needed to Be Said podcast YouTube show. This is what Tyree Kill said in regards to Tua having to step up in 2022. This is what Tyree Kill said. Quote, you know in the NFL they only give you like two or three years to be, success, to be a successful quarterback, especially if you're a first-round pick. And if you don't succeed after those years, then it's kick rocks, man. So basically they're going to put Tua into that. So this is basically his last year just to show people what he's got. And here's the thing. Tyreek Hill's not wrong. Tyreek Hill ain't wrong, okay? When you trade five first-round picks for a unbelievable talent in Tyreek Hill, when you draft Jalen Waddle, when you go and get a Mike Gesicki in the draft out of Penn State, when you when you stockpile running backs like, like the Miami Dolphins have with Raheem Mostert, with Sony Michelle, and with Miles Gaskin in the backfield. When you have all of those weapons and then you have the kind of defense that Miami has, there is no excuse anymore for Tua not to show up and not to play to the full level of his capability. And not only that, now Tua has an offensive, he has an offensive-oriented head coach. Whereas though before with Brian Flores, he had a defensive-oriented head coach. And whenever Tua screwed up, whenever Tua didn't play well for a quarter or a half, Brian Flores took him out of the game, put Ryan Fitzpatrick in to kind of teach him a lesson. And then after he would teach him that lesson, he would put Tua right back out there. Now Tua doesn't have that security blanket, or not so much security blanket, but he doesn't have to look over his shoulder and think to himself, okay, every time I play poorly now, I'm going to I'm gonna get yanked out of a game. Tua doesn't have to think that anymore. He can just go out, pray for, he can just go out, play freely, play to the full level of his capability with the creativity of Mike McDaniel. And now, like I said before, Tua ain't got no excuses. Tua has no excuses. With as good as that Dolphins defense is going to be this year, with as fast and as creative as that Dolphins offense is going to be with Mike McDaniel. But here's the thing. Also, here's the other thing that you got to factor in, um, too, as far as Tua. 
Yes, Tua has to step up. Yes, Tua has to play well. But also, it is it is it is solely up to Mike McDaniel and Mike McDaniel's coaching staff to put Tua in a position to be successful. He has to come up with the creative schemes and the creative play calls to put Tua in, in a position to play to the level of his capabilities. And if Mike McDaniel struggles to do that, then Tua's going to be put in a position where Tua's probably going to have to do more than what he's capable of doing. And that's going to put Tua in a position where Tua's going to struggle a hell of a lot more than he should with the talent that surrounds him. So it's not so much mainly up to Tua. It's also up to the quarterback coach. It's also up to Mike McDaniel and that and that offensive coaching staff to put Tua in a position to succeed moving forward. So yes, does Tua have to step up? Absolutely. But it's not going to be mainly all on Tua to step up and to put this team and to put the Miami Dolphins in the position to make the playoffs. Yes, Tua has no excuses because of the weapons that surround him. Because that Dolphins offense is going to be it's going to be lethal, it's going to be physical at times, and it's going to be fast. But at the end, but at the end of the day, it's going to be it's going to ultimately be up to Mike McDaniel and Tua on how good and how how much to the level of of Tua's capability that Tua plays and how much he steps up in 2022. But next up, ladies and gentlemen, next up, I want to give you guys my top five college football players of all time. Why am I giving you guys this list? I'm giving you guys this list because I was just scrolling through Bleacher Report and I just happened to see a little mini highlight video of former West Virginia Mountaineer quarterback Pat White. And Pat White was really one of the more underrated college football players of all time during my lifetime of watching college football. So when I watched that, it kind of made me think a little bit of who are my top five college football players of all time in my lifetime. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't see Archie Griffin play. I didn't see Thurman Thomas play. I really didn't see Charles Woodson play as a kid. I didn't see Barry Sanders play. Okay? So this is this is my top five list for my lifetime. Okay? So, with that being said, here we go. Here are my top five college football players of all time. Number five, Adrian Peterson, running back out of the University of Oklahoma. As a freshman, Adrian Peterson rushed for 1925 yards and 15 touchdowns. He was second he was second in the Heisman Trophy voting in 2004 next to Matt Leinart who won the Heisman Trophy in 2004. Adrian Peterson's best game in college was against Oklahoma State in week 8 of the 2004 season when he rushed when he rushed for 30, when he rushed the ball 33 times for 249 yards averaged 7.5 yards a carry and one touchdown As far as Adrian Peterson goes Adrian Peterson's one of the best running backs I've ever seen in my life college or pro I remember when Adrian Peterson was going to get drafted and I remember a bunch of people saying that the style in which Adrian Peterson played 
in college. The fact that he made a bunch of college guys look like elementary school kids out there with how physical he played, that his physical style was not going to transition over to the NFL. Lo and behold, this dude went and won NFL Rookie of the Year his first year in the league. He won NFL MVP in his prime after coming off of a torn ACL. He won NFL MVP, and he's and, and now coming up on the end of his career, he's in the top 10 all-time NFL rushing leaders in NFL history. So for people, for all the people out there who said that Adrian Peterson and his style of play in college, without physically played, wasn't going to transition into the wasn't going to transition to the National Football League. You are absolutely wrong, and you need to eat crow for that. So, Adrian Peterson is my number five college football player of all time. My number four college football player of all time in my top five list: Vince Young, quarterback, Texas. Here are Vince Young's numbers. During his college career, he threw for 6,040 yards, 44 touchdowns, had a QB rating of 144.9. He rushed 457 times for 3,127 yards, averaged 6.8 yards per carry, 37 rushing touchdowns, and he finished second in the Heisman Trophy voting in 2005 to another person who is on my list, Reggie Bush. His Vince Young's best games as a collegiate in college were the 2005 Rose Bowl against Michigan and the 2006 Rose Bowl National Championship game against USC. His numbers in the Rose Bowl against Michigan in 05. He went 16 for 28, 180 yards passing, one touchdown, rushed 21 times for 192 yards and four touchdowns. And Texas beat Michigan on a game-winning field goal. Next up, the 2006 Rose Bowl, which, by the way, is the best college football game ever in the history of college football. That is the USC-Texas for the 2006 National Championship is the best college football game ever. In that game, Vince Young's, Vince Young's numbers, 30 for 40, 267 yards passing, rushed 19 times, for 200 yards, averaged 10.5 yards per carry, three rushing touchdowns, and won the 06 Rose Bowl MVP award. He won the 05 Davey O'Brien award, and he was the 2005 Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. I don't care what anybody says to me. As great as Reggie Bush was, and Reggie Bush was good that year, Vince Young should have won the Heisman Trophy in 2005. I'm sorry. He, he, he should have won the Heisman Trophy in 2005. But at the end of the day, I'm not mad. Reggie Bush won it. Reggie Bush was awesome. But I think the way Vince Young dominated that game and took over that Rose Bowl, to me it just felt like Vince Young should have won that Heisman Trophy in 2005. That's just me. But I'm going to move on from that. Next up, my number three. Uh, my number three college football player of all time in my top five list. My number three, Michael Vick, quarterback, Virginia Tech. 
bottom line is this with Michael Vick. Michael Vick just changed the position of quarterback. When you see guys like Michael Vick come along, then after that you start to see guys like Tyrod Taylor. You start to see you start to see guys like Colin Kaepernick. You start to see guys like Troy Smith. You start to see guys, you know, you start to see athletes like that come through college. And Michael Vick was just absolutely, he was scary to watch. He was absolutely scary and he was a handful to watch. He was a handful to go up against and he was just absolutely entertaining to watch. Here's Michael Vick's numbers in college. He threw for 3,299 yards. 21 touchdown passes. He rushed 235 times for 1,299 yards and 17 touchdowns. He finished sixth in the Heisman Trophy voting behind behind Northwestern Wildcat running back Damon Anderson. Um, also, and, and also TCU running back LaDainian Tomlinson. And he was the 1999 Big East Offensive Player of the Year. Michael Vick was just simply electrifying and he paved the way, like I said before, for guys like Colin Kaepernick, for guys like Troy Smith, for guys like Devin Gardner, you know, for guys like Denard Robinson, for guys like RG3, for guys like Kyler Murray. He paved the way for those guys. And you really will never and we will never be able to ever see another guy like Michael Vick ever ever again. And then he transitions to the NFL and Michael Vick just became this just this force, the Michael Vick experience. He just became this force and just this this just unbelievable just athlete that we will never ever 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 be able to see again. And that will probably never be duplicated again outside of the exception, which is Lamar Jackson. Next up, my number two best college football player of all time, Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, bottom line is this. Reggie Bush, for me, Reggie Bush was a modern-day Barry Sanders. Okay, For all of you young people out there, for all of you teenagers out there, 13, 14, 15 years old, if you did not see Reggie Bush play, during the mid, mid-2000s, if you did not watch Reggie Bush play, go on YouTube and watch that dude's highlights from his time in USC. I'm telling you right now, me talking about it does not do it any justice. Reggie Bush was absolutely nasty. Reggie Bush was nasty in college. Nasty. He was sick. Here's Reggie Bush's numbers. In college, he rushed for he rushed four hundred and he rushed four hundred and thirty-three times for three thousand and one hundred and sixty-nine yards, twenty-five touchdowns. He he caught ninety-five balls for one thousand three hundred and one yards receiving and thirteen touchdowns. He won the Heisman Trophy in two thousand and five. He was the AP Player of the Year in two thousand and five. He won he won the Doak Walker Award in two thousand and five for the best running back in college football. College football. He was the back-to-back Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year in 2004 and 2005. And the best game 
that Reggie Bush ever played in his career was 2005 Week 11 against Fresno State when he rushed 23 times for 295 yards, 294 yards, averaged 12.8 yards a carry, had three had three receptions for 68 yards, and averaged 22.7 yards per catch. And as we all know, one of the big plays of that game, the big play of that game, Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush is running down the left sideline. A Fresno State defender is coming at him at an angle. He stops like he was putting on the brakes as he was driving a car. He stops, put on the brakes. That Fresno State defender blows past him. Reggie Bush scores, and that was the highlight of that game and possibly the highlight of that year. Reggie Bush was absolutely nasty. He was, like I said before, he was the modern-day Barry Sanders. He was the Barry Sanders of my era. He was also known for the Bush push against against Notre Dame later on that season in 2005. Reggie Bush was just absolutely just ridiculous to watch. He was, he was the Michael Vick of the running back position during his time at USC. It's just that simple. He was embarrassing, guys. So Reggie Bush is my number two college football player of all time. And my number one college football player of all time, Tim Tebow, quarterback, Florida. And here's Tim Tebow's numbers. Tim Tebow threw for 9,285 yards, 88 touchdown passes, rushed 692 times for 2,947 yards, rushed rushed for 57 touchdowns, won the Heisman Trophy in 2007, won the AP Player of the Year in 2007, won the David O'Brien Award in 2007 for being the the best quarterback in college football, and he won the 2008 SEC Offensive Player of the Year. And as we all know, Tim Tebow is one of the greatest leaders of all time in college football history. And as we all know, he won the Heisman Trophy, won national championships in 2006, won a national championship in 2008. And as we all know, one of the, one of the more famous, famous speeches, not just in college football, but in sports in general, was at halftime of the 2008 National Championship game when Florida played Oklahoma. And Tim Tebow rallied the team around him, and he gave one of the more inspiring and just motivational speeches that you will ever hear a leader of a football team, let alone a quarterback, give give his teammates. And after that speech, in the second half of that game, Florida went out, they dominated the second half of that national championship game against Oklahoma, and they went on to win their second national championship in three years with Urban Meyer and Percy Harvin and those guys. And Tim Tebow will go down as possibly one of the one of the top ten, maybe top five greatest college football players of all time. And that's my top five college football players of all time. Number five, Adrian Peterson. Number four, Vince Young. Number three, Michael Vick. Number two, Reggie Bush. And number one, Tim Tebow. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's going to be time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. 
as you guys heard earlier on in the show, I gave you guys my top five college football players of all time. Number five was number five was Adrian Peterson. Number four was Vince Young. Number three was Michael Vick. Number two was Reggie Bush. Number one, Tim Tebow. But my question to you guys is this. Let's go back to the year 2007. Why do I bring up the year 2007? Because that is the year that the Florida Gators and the Ohio State Buckeyes faced off in the national championship game, and Florida just absolutely wiped the floor with Ohio State, just destroyed them, smashed them. But a few weeks earlier, a few weeks earlier, there was a small school team in the Mountain West, and there was a big-time blue-blood juggernaut in the Big 12 that faced each other in the 2007 Tostitos Fiesta Bowl and put on one of the greatest college football games and produced one of the greatest college football upsets that we will ever see in the history of not just college football but professional sports in general. I'm talking about the Mountain West Conference champion Boise State Broncos and the Big 12 Conference champion Oklahoma Sooners. And as we all know, we all know how that game went. Jared Sobranski, Ian Johnson, Chris Peterson, they put up a hell of a fight against Bob Stoops, Paul Thompson, Adrian Peterson, and the Oklahoma Sooners. And that game, if you have not gone back and seen that game at all, I recommend that you go back and watch it on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. You can watch it. It is one of the greatest college football games you will ever, ever see. We all know Boise State won that game. But my question to you guys is this. We all know Boise State went undefeated that year. They went 13-0. And they weren't really getting the respect that they felt that, that not only they deserved, but, but small schools of their caliber deserved. They went undefeated. They played who they had to play on their schedule. They went undefeated. They went up against a big-time blue butt blue blood powerhouse in Oklahoma and they beat them and they proved on that stage that they were worthy of being on a big stage with another team like Oklahoma so my question to you guys is this what if the Boise State Broncos had actually been given an opportunity to face either Florida or Ohio State in that national championship game how would Chris Peterson and Jared Zabransky and Ann Johnson and that Boise State Broncos football team, how would they have matched up against Jim Tressel, Ted Ginn, and those guys? How would they have matched up against Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, Chris Leak, and those guys, and Percy Harvin and those guys? How, how would Boise State have matched up against either one of those two teams in the national championship game? And here's the other thing. If Boise State would have matched up very well against either one of those teams and beaten them, would Chris Peterson still be at Boise State even now to this day? And how much bigger would Boise State have been had they gotten a shot against either Florida or Ohio State and, and, and actually beaten them? And as we all know, Chris Peterson has had his name in headlines over the last few years with him being associated with possibly being the next head, next head coach at USC and things of that nature. But how would Boise State, would Chris Peterson still be at Boise State even now? Had, had Boise State 
somehow found a way to, to get into the national championship game and knock off either Florida or Ohio State in the national championship game. We will never, ever know the answer to that question. I think it would have been a hell of a fight. I think Boise State would have put up a hell of a fight, and I think it would have been a really, really tough, tough physical contest. I don't know if Boise State would have won, but I think it would have been a really, really good fight. And I think Boise State would have would have put up a would have put up a really would have put up a good enough fight and proven that they deserved to be in that position like they deserved to be in the position that they were in against Oklahoma in that Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. But and that's why this is what if. Uh, but thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I'm your host, Jared Dawkins. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at quietsoul24, Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L 24. Again, that's Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L 24. You can follow me on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Again, on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D, Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm out. Peace.